is my favorite U2 song. I absolutely love that song. Now, if you know much about the song, of course, it's, it's about, basically, it's about two men. It's about, first of all, it's about Jesus Christ, and of course, Martin Luther King Jr. And it speaks of the, obviously, the great topic of love. Now, I, I whatever, I, I, the, the fact of the matter is there is nothing more powerful, more persuasive that enables people to change, that motivates people than, than love. And probably the greatest demonstration of love that I have seen, the love and forgiveness that I have seen in a number of years took place uh, just a few months ago with the church shooting down in Charleston at Emmanuel AME Church. As you recall, during that shooting, there were nine people who were murdered at a Bible study. But what was more amazing to me than, than any other response that I saw was the way the family members of the victims spoke. And I'm sure that, that you are familiar with the story. I, I just wrote down some of the quotes from some of the, some of the family members. Chris Singleton, who plays baseball for Charleston Southern University, his mother was killed that night. Uh, here's what he said. He said, we already have forgiven him for what he's done. There's nothing but love from our side of the family. At the shooter's bond hearing, there were videos of some of the family members of the victims who spoke. One of the ladies' name was Beth Ann Middleton. Her sister was killed. Here's what she said. She said, my sister taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. Anthony Thompson said, I forgive you. So my family forgives you. Alana Simmons, whose grandfather was shot and killed, had this to say. She said, although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. She said, everyone's plea for your soul. She was speaking to the murderer. The murderer. She said, everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived life, life in love and their legacies will live on in love. So hate will not win. Another lady just very simply said, we forgive you. And I look at those statements like, how in the world could they say stuff like that? You know, and, and you look, and, and what it comes down to is the reason why they were able to say we love and we forgive. It doesn't say that, it's not saying that they didn't hurt, but they, they loved and they were willing to forgive because that's who Jesus is, and that is where their faith is. And, and you look at their response as opposed to the other responses that we've seen over the last year in other parts of the country, and you have to say, what is the difference? And the difference is the love and the forgiveness of Jesus is more powerful than anything you can imagine. In Romans 12, 21, here's what our instructions are. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and there's no doubt that love is powerful. And so today we are continuing our series, Rock Theology, by just you know, trying to dig some theology out of music. And of course, the song that James and the band just played, it's not hard to figure out the message of that song. It speaks of a Jesus who is willing to lay down his life because of the love that he had for people. It speaks of a man named Martin Luther King Jr. who was willing to give up his life because of love that he had for mankind. But the greatest love of all is the love that God has for his people. 
And so today what we're do, going to do is we're very simply going to take a look at probably one of the most popular verses in all of the Bible and probably a verse that's more memorized than any other verse in Scripture, and that is John 3.16. And, and in John 3.16, what we see is Jesus explaining to us how God loves people. Now, being a, a skeptic and, and being able to look at other people and, and to be honest and look at myself, I think, why in the world would God love people? I mean, yeah, in, in some senses, I think, why in the world would he even waste his time doing it? And yet what I see is that Jesus shares with us how God loves, how he's able to do it. And so if you have your Bible, I just want you to look with me today. We're going to look in one verse, John 3, 16. And, and what's happening in this verse is Jesus is talking to a religious leader who approached Jesus and said, Hey, listen, I want to know more about you. I'm trying to figure, trying to figure you out. And this guy's name was Nicodemus. He was a religious leader of the day. And in John 3, 2, it, it says that he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, your teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Now Nicodemus, this religious leader, he wanted more from Jesus. And it's in these verses that Jesus shared with him why he came. He said, now here's the reason why I'm here. And in, in verse 15, Jesus said, everyone who believes in him or who believes in me may have eternal life. Now that, that's, that's good news, obviously. It, it, sounds, it almost sounds a little too good to be true. But it's here in the next verse that Jesus shares, he shares with us how God loves. So how does God love people? Well, the first thing that I see in how God loves people is he loves without prejudice. God loves without prejudice. If you look in verse number 16, and we're just going to read this verse a few times, but starting off, it says, For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Now, there are some people who have a hard time accepting and believing that God loves. And we have a hard time accepting sometimes and believing that God could love people even like us. And, and the reason why is because, you know, if, if we really take time to examine ourselves, I mean, who knows you really better than you? I, I, know, I know some of the stuff that goes on in my mind. I know some of the thoughts that I have, and I know some of the things that I would like to do that are not exactly what you would call, you know, very Christian or very biblical. And I can, I can look at those things, and I can examine myself and say, man, there ain't no way God's ever going to love me. I mean, if he's able to see my thoughts, there is no way I'm going to be able to be in his family. And there's others who go on the other side of that, and sometimes we can have feelings of pride, and we think, if anybody's going to be loved by God, it's going to be me. You know, it's not going to be y'all, you know, but it's going to be me. And we can start feeling, you know, pretty good about ourselves. And we think that, yeah, God's going to be pretty impressed with me just by the stuff that I do. And, and I, have, I have feelings like that, you know, concerning, you know, I, I, have a, I have a little bit of a, I guess, a prejudice towards living in the South. I feel like this is like the best place in the world. And I've been to other places before, and I go to other places, and I think, not as good as here. I mean, just think about all the stuff we got here. For those of you who, who've lived here for a while and who like it, I mean, you have to admit, I mean, we, we, got, we got pretty good weather. I mean, winter, it's not bad here, right? So obviously God likes us more. I mean, you kind of look around, you think we, we know how to talk, 
and you know we got you know, we have we have good accents. You know we're able to talk about religion. Those things just sort of you know really very easily flow right off of our tongues. We know how to make sweet tea. You know we don't do instant. So obviously God's hand of favor is on us. Am I right? Yeah, that sounds good, but then when you scratch just a little below the surface, here's what you discover. We are just as screwed up as everybody else. You, you scratch below the surface, and then you find out that there is a raging problem, even in the Bible Belt, with pornography. There's a, a raging problem in the Bible Belt with spousal abuse. I mean, what's going on? The thing is, is that people are people regardless of where we live. And people are people and that we are fallen and we are sinful. And it just lines up with what the Bible says. In Romans 3.10, it says, There is no one righteous, no, not even one. And that was the point that Jesus was making to Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He came seeking out Jesus. Highly religious man, the most religious of all people. And Jesus, what did he have to share with him? He basically let Nicodemus know. So listen, it's, it's, not, it's not because of who you are that I'm impressed with you. The fact of the matter is, even though you are so religious, you are still a person who is in need. And Nicodemus would have been a man who thought the only kind of people that God loves are people like me, people who are, you know, who are very religious, people who look like that they were always doing the right things. But then Jesus turned everything upside down on its head when Jesus said, for God so loved the world. And the word world, it's, it's speaking of mankind. It means that, that God doesn't just love southerners. Hard to believe doesn't mean that God just loves you know, rich people or people who are really good or who think they're really good or, or people who are, are poor. It means that God loves all of us and God loves all of us because he chooses to. In, in Romans 5, 8, it says God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, it says Christ died for us. You know what kind of love that is? That is unconditional love. God loves you and he loves me, period. And then that's what I'm hoping that you will leave here with today, is very simply that God loves you. Now that's hard for me to wrap my mind around because just about everything that we do is conditional. You know, you do me a good favor, I will do you a good favor. If you do me a bad favor, well, I'm going to do you a bad favor. You know, everything is, is very conditional. So something, when you speak of unconditional love, it's hard to grasp. I mean, even, even McDonald's tried to do a, a bit on unconditional love. They had, a, earlier this year, they had a, a, a promotional called Choose Lovin'. And so what you do is you, if you went to the store between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. on the menu, if you were to choose love, and they would try to have you do things where you didn't pay, use money to pay for meals, but you know, if you did a good deed, yeah, that would pay for the meals. Oh, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, you go in and say, if you, if you call your mom today, we, we will give you your meal for free. Now, that sounds good, but it was limited. It was only between February 2nd and February 14th that it worked. Uh, between 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., only certain items on the menu were, were available. Not every McDonald's participated. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm understanding this. I mean, if it was unconditional, that doesn't make sense to me. Okay, I mean, how do they make money? You know, how are they going to be able to survive? 
And so, so it's, you know, we, we try to do some good things, but everything always has a condition on it. But God's different. God, God's love for us has no conditions on it. It's unlimited, and it doesn't make sense to me because I think, well, God, what if, what if there are people who try to take advantage of your love, and how much love can you actually give out? But in John 3, 16, it says God loves all people. And he loves us for all time. 2 Peter 3, 9 says the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And then we find out that God's bank account of love is so big that he can continually offer love to people. In Jeremiah 31, 3, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. So how, how does God love? God loves without prejudice. He loves without limits. But then I also want you to see this. God also loves with all that he has. And he's not cheap in his love. He loves big time. Uh, again, verse number 16 says, For God so loved the world, he loved us in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, now how much does God loves us, love us? Well, God loves us so much that he was willing to give. And one of the greatest motivators in giving is love. You know, when you love someone, you are willing to give to them. Now, that's, that's not, it's not in our nature to be giving. It is, in, it is in our nature to be selfish. It's in my nature. It's not my nature to, when I see somebody who needs help, for me just to naturally to go over and start helping. And that doesn't sound good. I'm just being honest with you. That is not my nature. My nature is like, I hope they figure it out, and I just keep on driving. Let me tell you something, though. If it's somebody that I love, then I, I begin to think a little bit different. You know, when I love someone, it becomes a great motivator for me to want to do something for them. And you're the same way. When you love someone, if the guys think about, your, if for those of you who are married or if you're dating somebody, think about all the things that you were willing to give and that you were willing to give up because of the love you have for your wife. I mean, I just, just think about it. I mean, you, you're willing to give up watching really good movies to start watching things like The Notebook. I mean, you know, you just give that up. Uh, you, you, you're willing to, to give up, maybe going fishing with your buddy so that you can, so that every once in a while you can go to the mall. Right? That, those things are not, are not normal. Now, that those things don't happen, but that is what love does. Love motivates us to give. And, and our text tells us that God loves us. And God loves us so much, the Bible says, that he was willing to give the best or all that he had. Now that word gave, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. That word gave, it means to pay a wage. Now, now what does paying a wage have to do with loving? Well, here's what it has to do with loving. In Romans 6.23, it tells us that there is a wage to pay because of sinfulness in our lives. And that wage is to be eternally separated from God. That we don't get to go to heaven. That if we, if we live, continue to live in sin, that we have, to, we have to pay for that sin by giving up our eternity where we're separated from God forever in a place called hell. And so here's the neat thing, is that God says he understands this, so he sent Jesus in order to pay our wage of sin. 
You see, when, whenever we sin, it is a debt that is so big that we can't pay it off ourselves. And so we need help with that debt. And so that is why God gave Jesus in order to pay off that big debt. You see, it's only Jesus who can pay for our debt of sin. That's what the Bible says. In 1 John 4.10, it says, Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for us. Now that word propitiation, it means to cover. Jesus came in order to cover us. He came to cover us in his love. He came to cover over our debt so that we wouldn't have to pay it. A good example of, of this to me is in, uh, in, the, in the early days of our country when people were moving west. There were times when they, would, when they were settling out in the west. They'd be in these prairies, and sometimes prairie fires would come. And those prairie fires could move so quickly that, I mean, if you'd be trapped. I mean, there's no way that you're going to be able to get away from that prairie fire. I mean, you could be on the fastest horse, but if you were trapped, then you're going to get burned to death unless you did something. The only thing that you could do in order to spare yourself was before the fire got to you, you'd pick out an area and you would burn it first. And then you would burn that area, and then once it burned, you could go and you could stand in that burned area. And then as that grass fire, that prairie fire came towards you, once it reached the grass that had already been burned, it would just simply go around you because it's not going to burn again. Now, so that's what Jesus did for us. You see, there is a price to pay for sin. There is the wrath that comes upon man because of sin. But Jesus said, I'm going to, I'm going to pay for the wrath that you deserve right now. And if you pl place your trust and your faith in me and you stand with me, he says, then, then you can never be burned by the consequences of sin because I've already paid the price. I guess think about that for a minute. That is how much God loves you. God loves you so much that he was willing to allow his son to come and to give his life for you. That you might not have to pay the consequences and the power of sin because Jesus has already paid for it. Now, now why, would, why would God do that? It's love. Because he loves you and love motivates you to care for others. Now, my, my fear is that there are many of us that we just sort of overlook that very quickly and we never take time to think about how God loves us. As God loves you and me big. And he loves us so much that he sent the best that he had for us. Now, when, when you know somebody loves you, doesn't it make it easier to love them back? Guys, when you know that God loves you, Man, it should make it easier for us to love him back. How does God love us? He loves us without prejudice. He loves us with all that he has. And then this is the last thing I want to share with you. He loves you to life. He loves you to life. And verse number 16 says, for God, so for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, I'm sure we've all heard the phrase before. Man, I just, I just lo I love him to death. Now, I know what that, you know, I, I get the idea of that statement, but isn't that a weird statement? I mean, if, if you want to love me and you're going to love me to death, man, do not love me. 
Okay, that's just sort of a weird statement. So where did that statement come from? Well, it, it comes from, it comes from you know, the, the typical wedding vows. That's where, that's where that statement originated. And if you, you remember the wedding vows, uh, they say, I, I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Y'all remember the last part? Till death do us part. Now, when you get married, your vows are to last until you die. Once one spouse dies, then that means that the other spouse, if they choose, they are free to love another. They're free to remarry somebody else. But God's different. God doesn't just love you in this life. God's love for you moves beyond this life. Even after you die, God continues to love you. Isn't that weird? He doesn't say, yeah, I'm just going to love you until, you until you die, and when you die, I'm done with you. God says, when you die, because I love you, then I'm going to continue to give to you. What's he going to give us? The Bible says he's going to give us life forever. That we're going to be able to experience heaven. Now, what's heaven going to be like? Well, it's, it's going to be a great place. Now, it's interesting. The Bible doesn't explain. It, it gives some things about what it looks like and stuff like that, but it doesn't really explain exactly what it's going to be, but it does give us a hint. We're told in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4, this is what God is going to give you beyond this life because he love you, loves you. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. It said, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And God will live with them. So when we die, God says, I'm going to come to live with you. He says, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. Because the previous things have passed away. That sounds good, doesn't it? That's just a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be a place where people don't get sick. It's going to be a place where there's no sorrow. It's going to be a place that is of joy. So how do we get it? How do we get to experience that? Well, Jesus says, it comes down to you believing. Believing in him. Now, all of us believe in a lot of different things. And we believe, I believe exercise is good for you. I believe eating right is beneficial. But when is it that that belief is really a part of my life? It's when I do those things. I can talk about it all day long, but until I demonstrate my trust in what I say I believe in, it's, it's only then that it's going to take any effect in my life. Jesus says, I want you to believe in me. That word believe basically means just simply to trust. To place your hope in Jesus. I read, a, I read an article about guys who are, I guess, like line, the linemen who work on telephone poles and things like that. It talks about how they're how they able to climb up the poles, what they do. They, ha they have these belts that they put around them, and they attach them to the, the telephone pole, and they wear shoes with spikes on them, and they're able to, you know, to dig into the poles and climb up. But to climb up, you have to lean back in that belt. You have to trust that belt to hold you. Now, that's pretty easy to do when you're like five feet off the ground. But like when you get like 20 feet off the ground, and then you're, it's not natural to lean away from the pole. And so what happens to a lot of guys when they first begin doing this is they, they kind of move forward. And when that happens, they slide down the pole. 
Now they'll grab onto the pole and what they get a handful of splinters. Doesn't that sound awful? I mean, they're just sliding down, just splinters going into their hands. And now, believe it or not, it doesn't take them many times doing that until they have to begin to learn to trust that belt. You see, that the higher they go, the more they are leaning back, trusting that that belt is going to hold them. But if they're going to get to the top of that pole, they have to lean back. Guys, the same idea is true with Jesus. If we're going to get to where God desires for us to go, if we're going to experience his love, we have to lean back and trust in him and quit trying to hold on to this life. And as we lean back and trust in him, guys, it's then that we're able to arrive at the destination that God has in mind for his people. You want eternal life? Yeah, I do. Now, I, I don't earn it. It's not anything that I do that God just says, man, I'm so impressed with you. I'm going to give this to you. Jesus says you receive it. He gives it. In John 1.12, it says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Now, very simply, I just want you to leave here knowing this. God loves you. God loves you. How does he love you? He loves you without prejudice. He loves you with all that he has. And he loves you to life. The question is, have you received his love? The question is, have you believed? Have you trusted him? Have you put all your chips in with Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm going to lean back in you and trust you? Now, is that scary? You better believe it. There are times when it's scary. You guys, what you, will, what you will discover is as you lean back in Jesus, he will hold you. He'll hold you up.